0: Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Rants About Humanity podcast. I have a little tasty beer here because I felt like it. And I have an awesome coach, life coach, health coach, business coach. I interviewed him like two years and a half ago. And it's like fantastic that we can have this interview because we've both been evolved. Christopher Vanberg. And first of all, I want to thank you for an insight that I really also got from the last call, which I use with all my clients. I think it was you who said it. The power of your language. Anytime Mm -hmm. my client says, I need to... I want to, I'm going to, change it by saying, I choose to or I choose not to. And that's immensely powerful to just own your language and own your decisions. So that is something that's stuck with me ever since we had that interview.
1: And I'm glad it's a, it's a, and that's why I share it. It's a powerful tool that I learned and, and I share it with all of my clients because it does change your trajectory and your perspective and your emotions all connected to what you're trying to do. And there's so many different great upgrades and word choices, right? I mean, you said I need to, but you can say I choose to, or you could even say I get to, right? I mean, I, I, I use it in the world of working out all the time. A lot of people don't enjoy working out, right? It's like, but all you have to do is look at one disabled person who doesn't have the ability to work out and you realize you could choose it, but you even get to thank God or thank the universe or whatever that means to you and say, I am thankful that i have the ability to even work out this temple that i've given and its full functionality right i mean that's a blessing all on its own
0: where do you think this masturbation comes from
1: where do i think masturbation comes from?
0: must 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 i call it like masturbation i must you know this very forceful way to kind of impose things people want to do
1: Yeah, I I mean, articulate that for me some more. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, oftentimes when people talk to themselves, it's, I must do this. I want to do this. It's a very forceful approach of motivating them to do things. And I see it happening a lot that people have that very forceful way of talking to themselves or motivating them to make decisions. Where do you think that that comes from? Because it happens a lot, I feel.
1: Most negative emotions, like anger or fear especially, drives a lot of behavior, right? Uh, somebody says that somebody, I think I need to get healthy, I need to eat better, I need to work out better, is actually out of a fear that they're going to get sick or unhealthy in a really particular way, and, um, or they already are, and if it doesn't progress, it's going to end their life. So they say, okay, I need to eat better, I need to work out. And so it's fear that's driving the behavior. But as we know, fear isn't a good motivator. It's an unhealthy motivator. And the choice of loving yourself is a much better motivator, right? I love myself and I love my body. So I'm choosing to eat healthy and I'm choosing to work out is a much more empowering way. And just to once again, all I do is upgrade my language And I can upgrade my perception and how I feel about a subject and dramatically change that. So when people are being forceful, I generally mean, because it's coming from a negative emotion in themselves. It doesn't matter if it's in their relationships or their business or their general health, right?
0: I also noticed this in the past when I had a very rigid way of like exercising. And you know what the crazy thing was? That when I started exercising less and putting less pressure on myself and being less forceful, that I actually had more gains than when I was mm-hmm. like going to the gym more and putting in more effort.
1: One of the very first times I got myself into sort of the fitness world was I was I was doing corporate wellness and I was teaching healthy living and exercise and a lot of corporate wellness clients were coming to us and wanted to work out with us. So we thought we would open up a fitness facility and I really got into the, the functional training and the working out all the time. And, and I was trying to push that on people, but then I realized, how often do you do something that you don't like, <laughs> right? Like how, you might force yourself for a while, but if you never like it, it's never, mm-hmm. it's never going to continue on for mm-hmm. you. And I eventually learned, I didn't like going to the gym all the time, physically going to work out. There was not, it's just monotonous sort of. Just painful. There's nothing super exciting about. So I found that for both myself and for anybody I coach, I try to get them to constantly try new forms of healthy activity. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter. if It's hiking or biking or swimming or running or stand up paddleboarding or boxing or wrestling or whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Find and keep trying things. And if you find something that you're personally passionate about, and if you all of a sudden have an enjoyment for tennis. That's exercise that never feels like exercise. And the more of those you can find and implement into your life, you might still require yourself to do some yoga or something, even if you don't really like it, or some stretching or some muscle work to have a balanced body. But then you're doing it less because you're doing stuff that you love more then it doesn't become something you're forcing yourself to do. I can't wait to go play volleyball tonight. Like I'm so excited about my game or my tennis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's what works best for me. And so I give that guidance to other people. And I, a lot of times they don't know what they love, but that's why you get to try new things. Go on hikes and take a, rent a bike or rent a stand-up paddleboard and try new things. And as you find stuff, eventually you'll find something you like to do. And it doesn't require a requirement. It becomes a habit.
0: Yeah, you always evolve, right? I noticed this, that something that got me going or got me to where I am doesn't necessarily will get me to the next place. So discipline is good, but when discipline almost becomes something very forceful, you're dragging yourself. Like you're almost picking yourself up, you know, by the neck and then dragging yourself to the thing. And then it was like, was I not doing this to get some fulfillment? It's the same thing when some people present me like a morning routine and they don't look forward to anything. I plan my days, to do this, I meditate, I hate it, but I do it anyway. It's like, start the day draining yourself so much purely based on willpower. I think you might better choose something that builds your energy, your feelings, your mood for the day, you know?
1: And I don't want to downplay discipline. Discipline mm-hmm. obviously can, can help us work through towards long-term goals where just motivation and willpower by themselves mm-hmm. often do not, right? So discipline is a great tenet. But I do think it's easier than having to force yourself to do something all the time is find things that you love to do and that you become personally passionate about. Is It's just a much easier journey.
0: Yeah, you mentioned habits, which when it's easier to do the thing you know you want to do, you have to do, you choose to do, and you set up conditions that makes it more frictionless, that also mm-hmm. makes you do the thing you know you should do, want to do, or whether you like to or not, and then you can still have the discipline, but you have a container that makes it a bit easier by turning it into a lifestyle behavior or a habit.
1: Some people are motivated, goal-oriented, mm-hmm. and then some people are just you know, general lifestyle habit change. And so it's figuring out what you personally motivate you is the first step, right? But then finding the, you know, it's not necessarily the easy road, okay? Because the journey of health specifically is is a long 10 years road. It's a, it's when you get knocked down all the time and choosing to get back up. Right. Mm. Uh, so there are commitments that, that should be made for yourself and there are goals you should set out to achieve. But the easiest way to obtain those things is to find the things that you love and that you can be passionate about. It's the foods that you enjoy that are healthy and to make that road easier for you so you're not (laughs) pulling yourself up by your shirt and dragging yourself along.
0: Yeah, and anything that you do is actually to fulfill a need. So let's say tennis is a need for exercise, but exercise Mm -hmm. is a need for health. So some people stay stuck in a strategy. Mm -hmm. The only way to do it is tennis. No, you have Mm -hmm. other sports. The only way to be healthy is exercise. No, you also have relaxation. Mm -hmm. You also have food. So you can always, Mm -hmm. what I go call going vertical or going horizontal, you know, to go a bit higher to the essential need or pick another strategy. But some people that that's maybe the downside with sticking with something. I love discipline and habits, but sometimes you see like this is not working anymore. Well, maybe that novelty of trying something different that fulfills the same need can energize you and get you going again.
1: That is very applicable especially in the world of diet theories. Right. I mean, you've seen all these people or heard all these people, maybe tried them yourself, but it doesn't matter if it's a paleo or a pescatarian or a vegetarian or a vegan or a, you know, somebody that is intermittent fasting or whatever. Right. A lot of times a diet that got you part of the way in your health might not be the right diet for you to go the rest of your way in your health. And sometimes it's like it becomes their own religion to people because they were maybe they were chronically ill or they had a poor diet before. And when they changed their diet, they felt so much better. They looked so much better. And they became a believer in that diet theory religion. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they that everybody must do their diet. But, you know, human beings are all in different phases. We've all had different lifestyles that have led up to us where we are. And the right diet theory for somebody might be totally different than what the right diet theory was for you. And that same, I think we were going to talk about medical anyway, but that Mm. same principle applies to all aspects of your health, right? So where there are so many different modalities to help you, medicine might be one of them. Nutrition might be one of them. Chiropractic might be one of them, right? Massage might be one of them. Maybe acupressure or puncture is Mm. one of them. And what your body needs in this moment might not be in the modality that you're trying to fix it with. And then overcompassing all of them is maybe you have some emotional trauma issues and that's what's causing your physical ailments that you're trying to treat right with physical modalities where and actually maybe it's time to get into a counselor or and do some emotional trauma work and, and to have physical ailment heal just because you did the emotional work.
0: You know what's crazy we live in 2021 now where we are so much symptom Oriented, We try to solve it with technology, with medicine, with vaccines, and we still are not looking at a human as a holistic human being in terms of emotional, mental, social, physical well-being. For me, that is just insane that we still stay so limited. That we almost have like, oh, for this little bone in your hand, you can go to this specialist who knows about this mm-hmm. bone. But we don't look at the environment of the person, the lifestyle of the person, the personality of the person. It's just crazy. We're still so fragmented when it comes to this.
1: There's amazing benefits of this rolls into politics, but into the, into the benefits of a system where, you know, America's healthcare system is a for-profit system, right? Mm-hmm. It just, it really is. It doesn't matter from the from the pharmaceutical to the surgeries to the doctors, it's really a for-profit system. And in that system, you they innovate dramatically. They create all sorts of te- type of medical technologies that can greatly benefit humanity. But sanely in that system, they're not trying to solve the origin of the issue because mm-hmm. that's where they make their mm-hmm. money. So if the origin of so many different in, of our healthcare issues are our emotional well-being and our nutrition level, then if they solve those problems, their money profit goes right out the window. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, in the medical textbooks, they can't wait to get a new disease or disorder listed in the and the Hundreds of thousands of known diseases and disorders, right, in medical textbooks, so that they they can write a prescription for a new drug to address those diseases. They don't care about the origin of it. They don't care if it's emotional or physical or whatever. They want to treat it with something that they… And it's funny that they call it it
0: prescription, right? They prescribe a solution. They don't call it a description, right? I'm going to give you a description, and then we can mutually (laughs) figure out what to do about it.
1: It is just the it's just the business of medicine, right? And uh, unfortunately that we live in. But I think this is a good time for everybody to say, "I'm the one that is responsible for my health. I'm the one in charge." Because if you really do, if you believe that you're going to your doctor to help him to help yourself get healthy, you're seeing one modality of eight or whatever, right? And he alone. Will not therapy to help you, nor is he going to spend the time with you to talk to you about how you actually should try to get in a healthy state of being. Unless you take control of your health on your own, unless you seek out other types of modalities, they're not just going to come to you. And so I think it's very important for people to remember that they're the ones that are responsible for your health. Your doctor does not take ownership of your health. If you die, he's going to say he's not responsible. That's all. I mean, and and so so you're the one that's responsible for your health. And so it's, it's on you to do a lot of their own your own research or reach out for additional help. And
0: that's sometimes the difference between Western medicine and Eastern medicine. Western medicine is about something outside of me made me sick. And Eastern medicine is about what inside me made me vulnerable to become ill. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because normally yeah. I'm strong enough. So I weakened myself. And the other thing is something mm-hmm. outside of myself. I, I fell, fell ill, right? I fell prey. I became a victim to something outside of myself.
1: Western medicine loves to blame genetics and they go after mostly what people don't understand about genetics, right? Like, you know, oh, well, you're just, you're weak, so you have to take a pill. They do it even from children, right? I mean, you know, the way that they overprescribed children medications to treat sometimes symptoms, which could easily be addressed by just a healthy diet. If you give your kid a bunch of sugar and carbs and processed foods, your kid is not going to act anywhere near as well emotionally, stability, hormonally, patience, energy levels. Right? They're not going to act in the same way as a kid on a healthy diet. And if you don't understand that, then you just don't understand basic level of nutrition. And if you don't, if you're not trying to treat your children or adults, if you're not trying to treat yourself first with a healthy body, fixing what's going on on the inside, then it really doesn't matter how you see on the outside. You're not going to fix the root of the problem.
0: It's almost like. If it would be time to have a Socratic dialogue with people to first, when they have a problem, ask like, what do you think is the problem? Where do you think mm-hmm. it comes from? How are you feeling? How's your life been going? No no doctors almost have time to have the conversation because it would take longer, but then it would give a lot of insight into the cause of the illness and the surrounding factors. And they would have more awareness to prevent it or notice it in the future. So the symptoms and, the, and you know, the illnesses are less severe.
1: Doctors to be profitable have to see an insane amount of patients in a day, even general practitioners. So they have to see a lot of patients in a day for them to make money. They have to avoid anything that they call door stoppers or whatever, something that keeps them from walking out the door in less than eight minutes. They want to know your symptoms. They want to know what's the quickest prescription they can write you and get the hell out of that office, to get on the next patient. And that's how they make money. And so once again, that's, they're just not the right people to go see for your health. I do like Socratian dialogue though. I mean, I, I, I feel like if Politically, people were intelligent enough to do that in those types of conversations. It would it immediately changes the game on from an argument to really having dialogue. But people don't even at modern day people don't even understand what you're doing when all of a sudden you shift your position and your argument. You start arguing their side better than they can.
0: What are you doing here? Asking questions? <laughs> I was here to get answers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because we're not trained to ask good questions. We are trained to give again, prescribed the right answers and be a bit obedient. We notice that also with the world right now, with uh, raising children, with education, with the job still. It's mostly about giving answers instead of like asking questions. And where does creativity come from? Where does empowerment come from? Uh, Oftentimes from asking questions and reflecting.
1: A conspiracy theorist is a critical thinker, right? Mm -hmm. They're just somebody asking questions. You don't need a theorist. You're not even a conspiracy accuser. You're just asking questions. Is there a a bigger thing going on that we're not being made aware of? That's what theorizing really is. And I call it a truth detective.
0: A truth detective.
1: Yeah, I love it. In school, though, right? At least in in the U.S., the school systems are no longer asking questions. Right? They're not teaching you how to ask a question. They're teaching you how to get the answer or. Take an answer and making sure that you put that answer on the test, mm-hmm. because the better you answer those tests, the more s- money the school gets, <laughs> right? So nobody wants a critical thinker coming through our education systems. They want people that are told what the answers are, and that's what they believe the answers shall be. Unfortunately, that's then that's what's coming out, right? Is people just believe what they're told versus asking questions that they should be asking.
0: Well, I think short term, I think, I mean, that's one of the things that I see about blindly following authority, but in a way, there's also a crisis of authority. This podcast is no censorship at all. And what I realize sometimes about this thing, when I see a lot of doctors not speaking out or too afraid, doctors know less shit than we think they do. And a lot of experts that we think, like they know what's going on. They also just went to the textbooks. They repeat what they've been told. They stay with, again, prescribed narrative, prescribed reality, and they just padded what they are told. While most of all, when we see a person with a degree, we think like they know their shit, but they know less shit than we think they do.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's hurting them because yeah. it's hurting their authority, you know, and the authority with which they can speak. Like, how much can I take these doctors, these expertise, these engineers, scientists for granted when I see what they're putting up right now? Like, how can I take you serious? Mm-hmm. And that's on the other hand, like blindly following authority is bad, but following no authority. Or having no one be in authority, that's also bad, you know? And that's a bit of a crisis of authority that I see right now.
1: We live in the age of information, but we also live in the biggest age of misinformation <laughs> too. So it is it is a crisis of knowledge. I don't remember the documentary. There is a documentary that talks about this specifically, this subject. And it was like they evaluated the 10 biggest crises mm-hmm. in the world going on, basically. And they said, well, where is their consensus on exactly what even the problem is? never mind what the solution is, where is even a consensus on what exactly the problem is. I mean, it didn't matter if they were addressing uh, climate change Mm or or world economy or whatever, right? There is no consensus on on the top 10 problems. There's no consensus on even finality, what the problem is, never mind agreeing what the solution is. And so it's just amazing that uh, in the time where we should all have relatively great and true information at our fingertips at all time. We're being even misled by the people that are directing us to that information, which is a sad story. Yeah,
0: and people can look this up and it's a bit linked, but I know that you're also passionate about and people can look this up. When they talk about 97% of the scientists agree on climate change, when they go to the original paper, they also have people who had no opinion about it, but they counted them with the 97%. When they talk about the wage gap in women and men, they had like one kind of vector to look at it, but it's much more complicated, different ways, like how you can look at it. But it's being manufactured, socially engineered, to have a very simple way to explain it or to abuse statistics in a way that it, it becomes like very simple to understand but it's actually a lot more nuanced than it is portrayed.
1: And just like science, is, is just follow the money, right? For the last 10 to 15 years, any money that was granted to climate scientists were to prove human interference. So when they mm-hmm. polled researchers on climate science, they look at the papers that have been published that have been funded by to prove human interference, and that's mm-hmm. where you get your 97% from. And also, it's 97% that it believe that humans have an impact yes. in the environment. Yes. It doesn't mean mm. that we are solely responsible mm. for the impact, right? Or even a majority responsible mm. for the impact, just that we do have an impact in the environment, which I think almost everybody can agree on. I mean, humans do make an impact. How big of an impact is still the question mark. Nobody knows. There's no percentage. It's not 100, and it's not zero, right? And so... Once well, again, it's a statistical quote that people that don't do the research don't actually have the... And, and how dare you question 97% of climate science? It's Who a dogma, right?
0: It's almost like a religion. like one of the dogmas of the, of the church that you can't deny, you know? Jesus resurrected 100% and you can't deny
1: it, you know? Religion was the first dogma. Now there are dogmas in every area because people are becoming religious. And it's about health about climate, about government policies and stuff. I mean, people are, they've become, it has become, politics has become its own religion.
0: But I don't want to Scary. belittle people who are religious because I have immense respect for people who are religious. I'm more a mythologist myself, yep. seeing it as a meaningful yep. story. But what is it based upon? About believing a narrative. Mm-hmm. And people think we're rational and science to be so rational. But a lot of things what people do right now is they also believe a narrative. It's like scientism. We believe in what these prophets of science Tell us, you know,
1: and science can be bought, which is also a thing you have to take salt with everything, you know, and, and I mean, I've seen it in the health world so many times, but anybody can say or prove or really narrate the, the conditions in which a study is done to validate almost any point they want. And it doesn't make it real science, right? You know, small sample sizes, whatever, control it. Once again, when you can control all the environmental factors, you can get a desired outcome pretty easily. And this is how so much so many pharmaceuticals are passed, but how many health studies are passed? Then, but this can be done with once again climate science. It can be done with political science. It can be done with political narratives. Whether you're pro Second Amendment or against it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, statistics are lies, and they can easily be manipulated, just like any government study can be done. A peer-reviewed paper. There's so many papers that were recently pulled down. From some published things because they people finally have started to figure out this is just bought, paid for science. It's not real. It's just controlling all the factors of the environment to get a desired outcome and publishing that study.
0: And first of all, I mean, because I know also your uh, stance, I'm not clear about climate change, how much like human element is actually a part of climate change. I think you're against pollution. I'm against pollution. Most people who don't yeah. even believe in climate change, they're yeah. against pollution. But it's, it's a big step from we should do something about pollution. I think it's crazy. We still yep. drive cars on the same fossil fuels as like 120 yep. years ago while we live in 2021. Yep. To, this should be the sole thing that we spend our finite resources on. And that's the most important thing. And we're polluting not only with our cars, but with everything. That's like taking it yep. to a vast stretch because we want to see our focus time, energy, money. What are we going to spend it on? But I'm deb- definitely like against pollution. But more and more people are becoming afraid to speak their mind because they have an ideological track like, hey, if you preach this identity politics, if you preach this about climate change, if you are more liberal, if you're against nationalism, we're going to let you speak on social media. You're going to get enough of money. You're going to make money. You're going to be comfortable. People don't realize how much guts it takes to go against the narrative. Maybe they're not right, but just going and showing a different side. You have to be brave. Not only from speaking, but also as an entrepreneur standing up for your values because they make the one side very much more attractive than the other side because then you get pushed away from certain opportunities. you know.
1: Well, which is the scary thing about what's going on on social media right now, right? The political banning of speakers, senators, anybody that ideologically was aligned with Trump or whatever mm-hmm. being banned just because they were aligned with a uh, political intent is one of the scariest narratives that's going on right now. I mean, it is the the death of free speech and nobody's going to do it. And Twitter was the first to act on it. And then all the other social media giants hopped on board, right? So it's a pretty big, scary thing that's going on because, you know, I believe in the world that like, look, if... You might not like it, but if a Nazi white supremacist should be allowed the platform just like anybody else should be allowed the platform, mm-hmm. people should learn that information too so that they mm-hmm. can discern for themselves why that information is bad. Yeah. And and when you take that away, when you take that away, you lose the ability for people to process good information and understand perspectives. You're not even them the chance to understand a perspective. Not that white supremacy is good in any way, but that there are perspectives out there in the world that we should all be taught and you shouldn't let somebody else control what you can and cannot learn about.
0: Yeah. I'm also pre- pretty liberal in the, in the classic, uh, you know, old school liberal sense yeah. about it. People yeah. be able to say what they want, even my biggest opponent. Because then it's out in the open and I believe in negotiated truth. I don't believe in like ultimate truth. Everybody has a certain truth and you can figure Mm -hmm. out truth by seeing different perspectives. And I think by filtering away perspectives that you don't like in social engineering society, I think you just put away things under the rug and at a certain point it will just manifest. So I don't like that at all. Even though I, you know, (laughs) like Trump said, like 50 times in videos, I disavow white supremacy and all those things, you know. Yeah. But if people don't directly instigate violence and I would see that clip, personally, I would say like, man, that's a stupid person. But I'm glad that I see yeah. the person and that those people are there and maybe I can have a debate with them or not. But I'm, I'm glad I see the way of thinking of that person so I understand them, not approve of yeah. them, see their view and know a bit like how they are thinking and what their reasoning is.
1: I open dialogue on my page all the time. Uh, for political, for health, for whatever. And I love contrary opinions to subjects. The only thing I say is, and I give everybody a warning is just be respectful. You don't need to diminish. You don't need to belittle. You don't need to put down or insult. You can share your opinion. If you can't share your impel- opinion intelligently enough and articulate enough to do it in a, that's not insulting to anybody else, then you don't know it well enough right? If you have to get emotional and you have to talk about your feelings and your, that's your perspective, that has nothing to do with the subject, nor is it uh, applicable. And so if people can't maintain what I call healthy dialogue, then I, and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it myself sometimes, mm-hmm. right? I, you, you get personally insulted. You might say something out of line, but I apologize when I do. But if, once again, if you can't maintain healthy dialogue, then I just, it's not on my, not on my page and not in my comments.
0: Yeah, for me, a healthy dialogue, I have some rules on my wall, is like no personal attacks and use arguments. And it seemed that art of Socratic dialogue by using arguments. And if you can, try to see the other person's perspectives, which is hard when you don't feel understood and there's no empathy towards yourself or the other person. But that's just it. But it becomes a lot of time, character assassination or extremes. You know, when I would say, I understand why Trump got elected. Oh, you're a white nationalist. Oh, buddy, you went like pretty 100% the other way with what I actually meant. And it becomes very polarizing and extreme.
1: Yeah, even, I mean, the term is funny, right? Uh, white nationalists, because there are con- lots of countries that consider themselves nationalists. the French are extremely nationalists. It doesn't matter if you're white or black, you're French. Okay, that is that's exactly what nationalist is. You believe that your values in your country Should stand over the values of what other countries because you don't necessarily believe what a Middle Eastern country believes in. You Mm -hmm. don't believe in the the same rights or beliefs or culture, et cetera. And so now, okay, if I'm white, but I have nationalists, doesn't mean now I can't say I'm a white nationalist. Even though I believe in America and I'm a white person, I don't believe in white pride or white Mm -hmm. supremacy, right? But I believe in America. And I believe I love our cultures here and I love the belief systems here. And we're not a perfect country, but damn, we've come a long way, right? And we've done a lot. I think I'm proud to live in this country, right? So- Yeah, this is just controversial controversial already.
0: I can explain it easily. Why do white nationalists like Trump? Because Trump is a nationalist. So every white nationalist, nationalism is in the name. They like nationalism. But that doesn't mean that every nationalist Likes white nationalism.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It, it, uh, it, you know, racism can be political thing, right? You because your political idea, and for for fifty years in this country, all the racists were Democrats, right? Well, now they're racist Republicans, and so, but does it make Republicans racist? Just because there are well, talk a bit about that because right?
0: people don't know about the first senators and they don't know about the KKK
1: for more than 50 years, I mean, really 100 years, the Democrats in this country were Southern and slave owners, etc. And they talk about this turn of events where the party switched. That never actually happened. Because over about three decades, slowly, the values of people change. I mean, you think about three decades, that's one one or almost two generations of people. Mm -hmm. The values of people change over time, right? As People didn't grow up in segregated areas and people didn't grow up with Jim Crow laws and people didn't grow up with, you know, slavery or the generational values of the youth. And so now you look at the South and there's lots of minority Republicans. And in fact, if you look at what almost won Trump the election, was his his white male votes, he lost by like 5%. He lost 5% over 2016. You know what he gained? He gained black women. He gained black men. He gained Hispanic men and women Mm -hmm. by far and wide, Mm -hmm. right? And so lots of minorities voted for him. So now you could say, because the KKK says we're pro-Trump, doesn't make Trump pro-KK, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, he's never condemned. There's a there's a video on YouTube, 38 times or whatever. I know, Trump yeah, like 40 30, times and yeah. It's It's, like, it's great. It's, and, yeah, and yet uh, there's still people out there who believe because that's, once again, people don't do the research. They just read the headlines from the media narratives and and that's what they push. You know, this you is got the crazy thing CNN.
0: about it. Like, listen, I think when you look at the policy of Trump, to put it like mildly, my view is that I think Trump is, when you look at policy-wise, one of the best presidents since JFK. Okay, I will maybe lose a lot of <laughs> listeners who listen to this, but let me just look at what actually happened. He didn't create a lot of wars. There was no tension with Russia. He got an agreement with North Korea. He backed off on the geopolitics. The unemployment was the lowest ever, especially with the black community, lowest ever. Very weird for his white supremacists to make sure that you know your living is important that so many black people had like a job okay he's a controversial figure in terms of like twittering and character i don't have to like him there's things that i, that nope. I think i disagree with but when i look at the policy i don't have so much things to blame and when you talk about two three generations yeah that was the 60s anti-war anti vietnam like he has one of the least wars ever of a u.s president you should at least the only one that s- never
1: started one Yes, the only one you, in my only one in my lifetime that didn't start a war.
0: <laughs> yeah, you should at least be celebrating that. And I have no political affiliation. I didn't like uh, Bush invading Iraq for no weapons of mass destruction. I use principles, but when I see people just blaming it on the character and not looking at the policy, and then you compare it with Obama, who got the peace prize, but that's at one of the most ongoing conflicts of any U.S. president, yeah. and didn't improve the situations for black people also a bit of a disappointment for me because there was so much hope that it would change i look actually at the policy instead of that i call it the fresh president of bel-air almost the will smith of Mm -hmm. politics like very cool right very suave obama but his policy sucked like he didn't change anything in america
1: yeah didn't make any improvements they asked they requested the nobel prize back from him really right (laughs) i don't know Yeah. yeah yeah they did You know, because he won it before he did anything. I mean, so that's their fault. And then his last year in presidency, what, he dropped 26,000 bombs on seven different countries. I mean, you know, I mean, that is not an anti-war president. I've never had an anti-war president. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're the, we are, America's crazy with war. It's just like nonstop. We're always fighting somewhere. And Trump has ended multiple wars, not just from an American perspective, but he's ended wars for allies. I mean, the sons of Abraham peace treaty with Israel, and, and he's adding more countries to it. That's the most incredible thing to happen in my lifetime, yeah. peace-wise. Mm-hmm. The North Korea, I mean, I get it. They haven't denuked yet, mm-hmm. but he, he walked across the demilitarization zone and into North Korea. That takes some cojones where mm. I've never, nobody else has, everybody else is, there's presidents of the last four presidents all looking with binoculars at, through across the DMZ. No, no, he walked in North Korea. That man has done some incredible things for this country. And people believe the media that he's hated politically abroad. People don't like him
0: because he's a a nationalist. The nationalist is the enemy of globalism. There's only like a few nationalists left. Bolsonaro in Brazil is also one. And it doesn't fit the agenda of just doing everything like on a global level. That's why they attacked him. He has his flaws and there's some things that I disagree with what he did. But when you looked at when I grew up, you had the whole plan of the axis of evil, right? Afghanistan and then uh, Iraq and Iran was on the list. So what's going to happen when Biden maybe becomes like president? Maybe another conflict with like Russia or in the Middle East or with Iran. Is that what we actually want? All those tax dollars again in geopolitics. That's just a waste of money, time. Plus, did it actually improve the situation in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Libya, in Syria? No, does it go to no, again when you when you talked about medicine, does it solve the root of the problem?
1: No, yeah, they, you know they talk about how Biden has never made a, a correct foreign policy decision. in fact, every decision he ever tried to make was just wrong, inherently wrong. It proved to be wrong. It was terrible. I mean he's is the worst foreign policy president we probably will ever have. We'll see what it, what it turns out to in actuality, but I have no, you know, they, they all claim to be anti-war, but then they all vote on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like, and, and they hated, they went against Trump trying to end wars. That shows how crooked our our systems are, right? Everybody else in America is for it. And Congress is fighting against it because Trump's trying to do it. But yes.
0: anybody, and maybe we go deep in the rabbit hole and other people call us maybe batshit crazy. I am not. I'm just basing myself on things that you can see and figure out. Look at the footage of... G- Jeff Kieser. It was a Democrat, right? It was not a Republican. Look at the footage, how he'd been shot. And then, you know, uh, Harvey Orsolt was killed. And then suddenly, Jack Root was also killed. Now, that's a lot of coincidences again, right? Then you had the old MK Ultra thing that happened with like brainwashing, using psychedelics to figure out torture methods that they used. We have... Edward Snowden, we have Julian Assange, we have at least some question marks about 9 11. That woke up a lot of people about whoa, what happens here? What dominoes does it put into place? And you see the bigger things that are at stake here, but still people can't see like the bigger picture and would think that some people are orchestrating things to make sure that power, influence, and money goes to certain kind of people and institutions. For me, it's crazy that people are at least not open to the possibility that people with a lot of power, influence, and money will do a lot of things to gain even more power, influence, and money.
1: Yeah. And try to keep it. I mean, that's all the decisions they make is to keep their money and their power, right? The people, the real people that are in charge. And I mean, 9-11 is a perfect example, right? We never got the full story. We never got the real truth and we never will. Just that little tidbit of information that was, you know, almost 20 years ago now, right?
0: This is a video you should see like online, but you you won't probably see it when you listen to the podcast, but do you know Jenga? You know Yanga, the game with the yeah. blocks? Yeah. You know where you yeah. push the blocks, right? You push them out, right? You yeah. build like a tower and then you push the blocks. When yeah. you fail, how does that tower fall? Yeah, exactly. Sideways, right? How many percentage of yeah. the time does that tower fall sideways? Yeah. Like ninety nine point nine nine percent,
1: and then there you have are, two
0: towers who are falling vertically, yeah. and then you have the the building seven or the extra thing that nobody you know reported. That free about. fell.
1: It free fell from fires. It wasn't hit by a plane. It wasn't. It, it, it the somebody blew out the supports. There were people that were in the building and they survived. They know about the explosions inside World Trade Center seven, a fifty story steel constructed building that free fell from top to bottom from fire it's virtually impossible it is impossible it's and, never the never. and the cameras were not working
0: and that day itself they were having like air exercises <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's listen that's the fact just the fact that we can't get the full truth means there are government secrets we will never know about and there's much so much more that we do not know about and that there is a there is a deep dark secret somebody society somewhere in the cia or somewhere that That runs a lot of the stuff that goes on in this country and that we will never get to know about, unfortunately. And you could be scared of it. I just choose to be empowered by the sense of look, whatever happens in the world is going to happen to the world. It's outside my control, right? I could vote or I could not vote or whatever. I could influence the people in my social circle or not. Or I can care about what is close to me and what is around me. I can control about my health. I can control my community. I can help my friends and family and be in that world that I can control. I make as good as possible, and that's how I feel good as possible. And I can't, I don't, I do not stress about what is else is going on in the world that is outside my control. If if it's doomed and America's down to have a hyperinflation economic off, whatever it might happen, I'm not going to worry about it (laughs) because it's it's outside my control. Just be prepared if it does.
0: Yeah, because everything that we say right now, people can look up and we're raising questions and people can see different perspectives. It's not that I know the ultimate truth or the ultimate people, but at least there are some things that raise questions for me and that I say like, whoa, that's a bit strange. The thing that I find a bit hard is, yes, a lot of things are in your control and under your circle of influence, and that demands personal responsibility. But you know what's happening right now? It's the nanny state. Mama's going to take care of you. You don't need personal responsibility. We're going to take that over from you. You don't have to decide anymore. So yes, you can decide a lot of things. But what if all those things are not in your personal realm anymore? It's just in the state realm and in the nanny state realm. And that is a tendency that I see happening right now. A lot more state interference with every single aspect of your life. Yep
1: if i was going to align myself with a political ideology i there was a couple years ago i just went and i just looked at all the definitions of what the political ideologies mean now what they stand for can vary right especially as political cycles change and values change but by far by far i understand liberal ideologies but libertarian for sure Mm -hmm. Because the foundation, I think, of America is really libertarian. And if the founders could see how much of our lives that the government is trying to intrude upon now, they would be flabbergasted. They they would be. uh, And and if you like, like marriage is a perfect example. My mother has multiple gay siblings. Mm -hmm. And and so even though I came from a religious background in my education, I was always pro gay marriage. Mm -hmm. And then I'm always, then, and as I, especially when I had my first like health awakening and I realized doctors are not really for your health and people need to be. And I had this sort of, I started questioning authority in that way. And I think that's really the first step. Everybody has to have an awakening of why they start to question the authority and then you start questioning all the authorities, right? Do they actually know what's mm-hmm. best for me or what they're talking about? And that political realm, I realized why does the government tell us who and who we can't even marry to begin with? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, a meme a long time ago uh, that was like, listen, if you want to marry your gay best friend and grow marijuana and defend it with assault rifles, I'm all for you. Right? Like, it doesn't matter what you think is good. If you're not harming other people, then you should have the right to be able to do it. And also, maybe I mean, of course, we have stipulations about harming the world and yeah. the environment as a whole, and the communities that we live in and stuff. There are other considerations to factor in there. But the government is way too intrusive into our lives. And there are there is no political. I mean, there are there are libertarian candidates, but even the libertarian candidates sometimes are really not anti-government the way that they probably should be. We should be downsizing, downscaling, limit their resources. That's how you create a thriving world is get them out of our lives as much as possible. You know, for decades, they're trying to take over what our nonprofits have been doing for. When you have excess, it's easy to take care of your sick or your disenfranchised or your your communities. It's easy to do that through nonprofits. Better, much better. But you know what's happening right now? In our government.
0: Yeah. These non-governmental organizations, they mostly get sponsored by governments or like Europe or certain, you know, non-governmental, it sounds good, right? Bill Gates is a philanthropist who triples his investments with the philanthropy he's done. Well, I can also be a philanthropist this way. I'm just, I'm a philanthropist, but then, you know, I make like two, three times as much of a profit or during the crisis, I increase my wealth with like 15%. Okay. Pretty yeah. easy to be a philanthropist that way, you know? <laughs>
1: Yeah, agreed. And yeah, I mean, in America, there's nonprofits everywhere. There's a big religious community here. All the churches, not all of them, but most of them, make their books open to public, and where they give their money to communities locally. You know, you know a lot a crazy of the crazy thing that, camps-
0: that 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 also made me wonder, and first, uh, what you relate to, I think, the right for self determination when you're not hurting others. I mean, that's a huge uh, American value. Yeah. By the way what you said less government I listened to the documentary the century yourself fantastic documentary you also hear Reagan yeah. talking about we don't the answer is not more government the answer is less government so it reminds me a bit of, of those days one of the things that I found fascinating is that they say you can't do anything about the social media companies because they're private companies they can do what they want but at the same time they have all these lockdowns and preventing private companies from opening up and doing what they want like it's almost like two measures and two sticks to treat yeah, the situation wh-
1: Section 230 has been talked about politically for a while. It is the, in the act that it was passed in, it was in regards to social media companies were just getting their start and they were trying to protect them as forms for open information. So allowing them to self-moderate as protected forms of information, because, you know, there are laws that can be broken in free speech forms. So that, so that's what section 230 was put into place for. The problem is, is when they moderate in political directions and they get involved in these sort of other arguments and they remove people, there is no recourse because of section 230. If they remove section 230, it allows private individuals to sue. It makes them liable for removing information mm. for uh, that is not against the law. And so if, if you remove that protection for them, they either have to allow everything They can maybe earmark things as like misinformation or fact checkers. They can probably still do that. But removing authors for not breaking the law, they become civilly liable, which means Donald Trump could sue Twitter.
0: Yeah, because how can they be above the amendments in the American law?
1: That amendment allows them to moderate their forum without civil liability. That's section 230. So if we remove section 230 it opens them up to civil liability. Now they they of course they can moderate their own platforms. however if they are moderating stuff that is not against the law are no longer if they are no longer protected that's why that's why the, honestly that's why the big media giants went for biden in the end because Trump started talking mm-hmm. about repealing section 230 which is going to remove them, which made every big social media giant immediately go, we can't allow Trump to stay in office he's going to remove our civil liability protection and it's going to destroy not necessarily destroy but it's going to severely damage social media valuations because they become civilly liable to the public and that's damn right they should be they're no longer little tiny startups
0: well this is the thing that I sometimes blame because this is the argument that you hear so much the private companies and you know they should be able to do and decide what they want because i as a private entrepreneur i also wouldn't want the government to like interfere but these companies, they determine so much of the public opinion, of the public perception, that I think they can be above the law by just being able to peddle perception, peddle information to steer humanity in any direction that they want. And know libertarians say like, "Hey, no state interference," or people say like, "Yeah, capitalism, fantastic, unbridled capitalism." But you know what the crazy thing is? That those same libertarians, those same conservatives, or right people, they're actually being cut off from the platform. By just only saying like, yeah, they can do whatever they want, unbridled capitalism of these big tech companies, like making more and more money and then doing whatever they want. I think there should be a limit on it when you look at how much power and influence they have on the future of humanity.
1: I am not unbridled anything. Capitalism is by far in the if we look at the history of nations mm-hmm. capitalism is the greatest economic theory that has ever been implemented because it goes after human nature human nature is I want to be able to keep what I kill and provide for myself and provide for my family. And if I excel in life, I should be allowed to keep a majority of that. That's the fundamental basis of capitalism. Why create? Because I am financially incented to do to mm-hmm. do so. In a socialism environment, a communist environment, if you create, you still have to create all of your toils and all of your efforts with everybody else. There is no personal gain for it. And so it's going after human emotions in the sense of doubt now the flip side of it is capitalism is inherently greed right the more you gain the more you get the more you go after if you're not actually doing self for others which is a personal choice it's inherently going after that tenant of our nature and it does need to be checked right there should be regulation regulations in in the world to protect especially from consumer protection perspectives and whatever and so so i'm not for unbridled i'm for regulatory compliance but just like the airline industry did 50 years ago when we stopped letting the government control the private industry of flights and just regulate the authority on safety only the airline industry got better for everybody prices got Mm. cheaper flights opened up the the ability to travel were based off and taking up new routes and growth all became on the industries to push versus the government to control and so then just regulating safety allows the consumer to be protected, but all of us got better pricing and then the industry exploded on its own. So it's not without regulation, of course, it's just without having their fingers in absolutely everything that where it gets destroyed in government bureaucracy.
0: Yeah. And an important quote is if something is free, you're you're being used, you know, you're not the user, you're yeah. being used. And we live in the age no. of peddling perception. So even if you think these ads If you now can steer perception of people, of nations, of humanity a certain way, there's immense value in that of being able to take control of people, their perception, and people, their behavior, with means right now that's never been precedented in history. How do you stay uh, sane in this world sometimes that seems so polarizing and crazy and hectic?
1: I think it drives people crazy that I stay so sane. <laughs> <laughs> I went to uh, get my blood work done from a functional medicine doctor. And I, I think we were talking about health earlier. And there are doctors out there that are that do tailor, go away from traditional medicine and go out there to do healthy and wellness. And, and there are great doctors out there that do that. But in the world, I went to go get my blood work done, hormone levels checked. And, um, and so she's going through my results. And she's like, oh, you're great here and here and here. And she said, this was a little... This is a little weird. And she's like, your stress hormones, your cortisol, an average person, whatever the number was, I think was 0.08 or 0.8 or whatever it was. I was like 10% of that. I was like, she's (laughs) like, you're either, you're either a Zen master or you're insane. I don't know which one. And I'm like, I don't know either, but I'll take it. Right. I think it's just spiritual lessons that I've learned in the sense of like, I mean, the four agreements was, you know, I don't know if I read that 15 years ago, but I've read that book multiple times, but just that I don't take anything personally. I, You know, every once in a while, of course, you know, if my emotions get affected, I do get stirred up or whatever, but whatever's going on in the outside world, even what's going on in my world and my community, other people's drama is rarely my own. I've had significant others and people that were dating that were wondering why I didn't get more emotionally appalled by something that they said. You know, Mm -hmm. people say reactive comments all the time to say like get the attention that they're seeking or the validation that they're seeking. And I am unreactive to that because it's something that they're going through. Even if they're an experiencing an issue with me, they can communicate that with me. And I can say that was my intent or whatever. And I can, you know communicate it out. But a lot of times, not being reactive is the greatest reaction of all. Because though your reactions are within your control. And if you find that your reactions are not, and this is where emotional intelligence is lacking in this world that we live in, in the sense of, If you're offended by something somebody else says, that's not their fault. Now, people can be offensive and that's their fault all day long. But if you're just offended by something somebody else says or does, I don't care if it's political, I don't care if it's religious or health or whatever, it's your fault. Because your emotional reaction to them, if it's of offense, if it's a problem for you, it's because you have emotional work there to be done. You have anger or fear or frustration or whatever. You have negative dialogue, a story that you've told in your your head, that's your problem. And so when people have trauma, and we all have trauma, we all have baggage that we've dealt with, the emotional work is going through and forgiving, letting go of yourself or other people or whatever, and dealing with that trauma. And that way I can look at like when I was sexually molested as a child or when I was physically abused by a woman one time or when, or when I've been beat up by men in physical assaults or whatever, if I struggle to talk about or bring up or those events in my life, if it's hard for me to talk about them, I actually haven't fully dealt with them. And so now I can talk about any traumas that I've had in my life because they're not still emotional traumas in my heart. I've forgiven, let go. I've made peace with those events in my life. So I can talk about them with ease actually. Now, if you don't have that in your life and you still have emotional traumas that are fire, cuts, knives, still stuck in your heart from those previous events, then um, you're reactive to the rest of the world because of those events. And so other things, people in your life are going to affect you or situations are going to happen. And instead of you reacting in a healthy way, you're going to react in a trauma-based way because of your, you know, your whether childhood or young adult or whatever, whatever these issues happen for you. And so it's important for people to do that emotional work and nobody's going to do it for you. This is something you have to take on the effect. I mean, once again, for years, I was doing nutritional and physical work with people. And I realized that the reason I wasn't having perfect success with people, the reason why I had people that were Mm -hmm. failing out or not being able to complete the program was not because I wasn't giving them good advice. It's because the emotional traumas in their life, the stress, the anxiety, the fears, all the stuff going on currently in their life and their past work is where they were struggling. And so that's why for five or six years after that, I studied language and body language and emotional counseling techniques. Because if I was really going to help people on both the health, life, business, Mm -hmm. et cetera, I had to understand what's going on with them emotionally trauma. And if I can help them improve those states of being, it's going to expand all the states of being in the rest of their life. It's going to help them financially. It's going to help them in their relationships. It's going to help them in their business. I've learned powerful tools like language. And that's really how people have been able to upgrade their life. Because we help them deal with their uh, past traumas. We help them deal with their current stress and anxiety and perceptions. And then reshape their life into good habits, lifestyle habits, etc. That just move people forward in a better direction. And even if... That Once again, the outside world is crashing down all around them, right? Their political candidate lost or Mm -hmm. they have sick people in their family or they're going through a divorce or whatever, they can remain emotionally immune. It doesn't mean you're not empathetic. It just means you don't have to be so reactive to what's going on in the outside world. And that's under your control once people learn these skills.
0: Yeah, you got your immune system, your emotional immune system. How do you Put the balance between stoicism, detaching yourself from emotions, and still living through emotions and being human.
1: The stoicism—I even have a great book over here, by the way. I'd I show you uh, on stoicism, but there is a difference between empathy and taking on the energy of other people. I mm. think naturally, we're human beings are created to be empathetic. We are designed to go. I can feel what that person is struggling with. But when you recognize emotions are in an energy, you can say, I can recognize, I can feel what you're experiencing, but I'm not taking that energy on. So you can be experiencing fear, sadness, anger, hostility, whatever that might be going on. And I can feel that. I can recognize that when you, so so it enables me to help you, but I don't take the energy on from anybody. Right. And I think that is an emotional intelligence skill people get to learn, which is like recognize somebody is struggling. So that you can help them in their struggle but if you're not able to keep your own emotions in check you're not going to actually help that person so stoicism is really the art of becoming emotionally unattached to them it doesn't mean being emotionally unattached to yourself right i think what we were talking about earlier in health right just working out there are things that you should be passionate about. And the people that are disconnected from themselves are actually usually disconnected from previous trauma they haven't recognized. They felt so much pain. I don't want to feel that way anymore. And they're using statements like, I don't want to feel or I don't want to live like this. They're actually like pers- personal death, emotion, rise Because they don't, they want to disconnect from their emotional body. And really the power comes from a connecting to your emotional body, but staying sovereign and not being affected by other people's emotional bodies. That's where the real power lies, right? One of the things when they talk about male toxicity is that men are sometimes emotionally disconnected mm-hmm. from, and they, and they think that's part of being a man, which is like, you know, I'm tough. I'm stone. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be connected. Maybe they got their feelings hurt by some girlfriend when they were 15. They're like, I'm never attaching to a woman ever again, because I don't want to feel that, that there's no power in that. That's actually weakness. That's actually insecurity. And that is not how, that has nothing to do with being a man. It's just there. Sometimes their perceptions of, of what it means to be a man is where being a man really is to be strong when other people are weak, not because you're emotionally disconnected, but because you're emotionally intelligent enough to understand that your power is your own and you can stay strong when other people are struggling. That's where the power is.
0: Sometimes also a bit of difference between being unattached and being detached. It doesn't mean cut yourself yeah. off completely, but then be a bit detached on the situation so you can choose a different response. You can respond instead of like react. If people want to check out anything that you do in your business, in life, with all the awesome stuff that you provide with the body-mind connection, where can they find out more about all the awesome stuff that you do?
1: I do regular just coaching videos. Uh, Facebook is probably the easiest place to connect with me, but you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. And Think Great, Lose Weight. I am a published author. I did a book on health. And uh, just like everything else, it's not so much just on nutrition. It's really about the emotional aspects of forgiveness and letting go. So you can check out my book on Amazon. It's Think Great, Lose Weight. And also thinkgreatloseweight.com. You can read more about my bio, etc online. And uh, if you have any questions, of course, uh, just connect with me. And be are glad to share my insights.
0: I'm still curious about something. I saw you went to like Virgin Island with like Richard Branson. And I'm just very curious yeah. about what that experience or hanging out with people with a lot of money, what, have, what has that taught you?
1: I think before in my early years, I had a little experience with with some wealthy people. And even in my adult years, I had some experiences some wealthy people that was very off-putting to me in the sense of that, the way that they live their life. And I think I created a story in my head that money destroys people. And then all of a sudden, I had mm-hmm. a negative dialogue myself and negative association. And if you look at movies and stuff, right? How often is some rich, crazy person the bad guy? And so there's this negative story about money that, that has lived in my life. But now in my adult life, once I changed that story around, I started associating with different types of people. And I realized that some people with money are just, are, um, it didn't change them didn't change them at all. In fact, sometimes it amplified who they are, right? Like I love Elon Musk. I mean, and there are a lot of wealthy people now there, don't get me wrong. There's still the story out there. There are a lot of wealthy people that are inherently in a way evil or money corrupted. And I've seen people do terrible things with money that still exists, but I realize that you can be greater than the power that can corrupt you per se, right? So it doesn't always mean it corrupts. And people like Richard Branson is a great story. I don't, Politically, I feel a lot different with him on a lot of different subjects. But as far as philanthropy goes, and as long as a good human being and a fun loving guy that just likes to live his life, I mean, on the island, you know, he's really big in the kite surfing, and his island is great for sailing and kite surfing because there's always good wind around there and there's a picture of him in in the little kite surf cabin right there on his beach where it's like him wake surfing, I mean, kite surfing. And he's got like this beautiful naked model just hanging <laughs> off of his backside while he's surfing, you know? And I mean, his wife is on the Island. I mean, he's like, he's, he's, it's not like he's an unfaithful guy, but it's like, there's your billionaire philanthropist still living his life. You know, it's just, it's just funny to see, but yeah, I mean, got to play tennis with him, beat him once, twice. He beat me a few times. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> But it's a, it's a pretty fun experience Met a lot of people on that island. It's a good time to go.
0: Yeah, last thing, what is the kind of message would you would give to uh, young men? Because we talked a bit about toxic masculinity, people who want to build themselves up, have a healthy body, have a healthy mind, body-mind connection, and they want to start developing themselves. What is the kind of a message you would give to those men who want to build themselves up?
1: There are all types of perception of a man and I can't control what you think is a man or what a perception of a man is, but I can tell you that we can set a good example and a good example, the the best way I think to set a good example is that there are alpha male traits that are attractive and there are alpha male traits that are not attractive in the sense of being a leader, stepping up, standing up for what's right, et cetera. These are good quality alpha male traits. Alpha male traits are not being the biggest and the strongest anymore, or the person that can beat up anybody in a room. There's a toxic male alpha male traits. The best way that I think is, is what I would call modern male traits, which are more the gentleman male traits. And a perfect example is chivalry, right? (laughs) chivalry, we think, is about the way that we treat women, but chivalry was actually male-to-male respect, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was in the days of knights and, and armor, it was the respect you would pay even an enemy and the rules of combat, right? The things that you did that to pay each other respect. And so that attitude is a sense of that every human being, regardless of race, color, sex, gender identity, I don't care, whatever it is that you are or who you are, I will give you respect as a person. And so gentlemanly male traits, I believe, are applicable to that. those tenets. And so to be a good man means to me, and, and, and my sense of the being means to be respectful of all people, to help those that are in need, to be strong when others are, might be struggling, and to, to help other people, which it has nothing to do with women. It has to do with all, right? I, if I'm opening the door for somebody, it's not a man or a woman. It's everybody. I will open the door for anybody. It doesn't matter who's walking in there before me, just because it's the, I think it's the respectful thing to do. If I'm already opening the door, why not hold it open for other people? Those are the, the types of traits that I think are attractive, and I think those are the types of, of What it means to be a man no longer has so much to do with clothes or strength or providing even per se in the modern society but being a respectful man in that sense is the admirable qualities that i think people should strive for
0: that's christopher Vanberg, ladies and gentlemen giving you the keys to the kingdom teaching you how to be noble with nobility be courteous not slap people with your glove and challenge them to a duel Let's start to create your kingdom. Thanks so much for sharing your insights on uh, the podcast, Christopher. It was an honor to have yeah, thank you, you for as a guest. Me. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a comment. And if you're a coach or consultant and you want to scale your online business or maximize your productivity, check out the show notes to find out more about Philip and his coaching programs. Rent over.